0: Right, hello, welcome to the NHSR podcast. As I've mentioned in previous podcasts, I've stopped getting the numbers because they come out in a very chaotic order for various reasons. This is the news podcast. It's being recorded on the 15th of August. I think it probably will come out a little later than that because there's another podcast in the tube that's due to be released, but it will be, I think, reasonably soon after that. And what we're saying is reasonably uh, will make sense, I think, for a while. So that's not too much of a problem. So we are NHSR. So NHSR is a community of people in the UK who work in health and social care. And we like to use open source data science tools to analyze data, particularly R. we're obviously, it, hence the name, but we are very friendly with Python in particular. There are other ways of doing data science too, and we're friendly with those too, if we ever meet them, such as Julia. And the other thing that we like to do in HSR is we like to share the code that we write. We have lots of stuff on our GitHub We have lots of stuff on our website and our blogs and all this kind of stuff. I'll put various links about the NHSR community in the show notes so you can have a look. And as always, we will also be putting links to all the stuff we talk about in the show notes. And I think after recording the last newscast, I had the idea of making this into a blog. So there will also be a blog which summarizes what we're talking about today. So if you don't want to listen to me and Tom uh, go on about it, then you can just read it quickly. So to kick off, I'll just introduce myself. So my name is Chris Bealey I'm a data scientist. I work in Nottinghamshire Healthcare NHS Trust, and I'm the co-chair of the NHSR Technical Advisory Group. And Tom, introduce yourself, please.
1: So yeah, I'm Tom Smith. I'm an insight manager at Nottingham University Hospitals NHS Trust, also in Nottingham.
0: And just to say, if we sound a little bit rusty or like we don't know what we're talking about, do forgive us. We've both been on holiday for two weeks. We were just saying this, so we're not entirely sure what we do for a living or where we live. But we're, we're slowly waking up with the help of uh, caffeine and Zoom. Okay, so the first thing to say is that the NHSR conference planning is in full swing. The abstract submission form is out. It uh, has been out for a while. We'll put a link in the show notes. I believe offhand it's the 21st of August, but don't take my word for it. And we are also accepting for the first time Python submissions. It's fully remote um hybrid and uh in person the python unfortunately isn't because of uh the cost implications of running two hybrid conferences simultaneously but we do have an in-person python track and we have some keynotes announced we've got heather turner from our ladies we've got jess morley by the time you hear this will have been on the podcast and it's an excellent one i can highly recommend it to you and i'm sure there'll be more to come so how are you are you coming in person tom what are your plans for nhsr
1: I have not planned to come in person, actually, but I will definitely be there um, on the online track. I've got young kids and it might be nice to try and get a day out, but the the online track will be in the bank if I don't manage to do that. How does it work, actually? How does the in-person thing work?
0: No, that's a good point. Yes. So in-person, I think, I believe, I mean, again, don't quote me on this. I believe virtual attendance is free to everybody in the world. In-person attendance is free to UK public sector workers. And I believe if you don't work in the UK public sector and you want, you do want to attend in purpose, then there is a charge, I think, which I think has not been announced yet. I myself will be going to the conference in person because I'm the co-chair, so they're going to... Oh, well, because partly because I want to, really, but um, I'm going to go and need to go and say a few words. And I think I'll be taking... A, oh, yes, I'll be doing the Shiny workshop, as I always do. I'm a little bored about of, of Shiny, if I'm completely honest, because i have been doing... How long have I been doing Shiny for? now? Like, 10 years, maybe? So I mean, I do love Shiny, but sometimes I... That I think w- that, you know, I wish I was doing something else sometimes. And I think I'm probably taking a paper as well. How- are you taking any papers, Tom?
1: I am going to be uh, submitting a, a paper, yes. Um, I was working on it last night, actually, Sunday night. So, yeah, I'm going to be hopefully presenting something on um, how we're using um, NHSR Plot the Dots in a, in a reporting format. So uh, rather than just sort of keeping things to just the the package itself, I'm hopefully going to be showing a little bit about how we've implemented it into some of our our performance reporting um, which so far we've only done in maternity but um, I work in the family health division so there are other parts of our division who are clamoring to get the same type of uh, reporting output so um, yeah I hopefully give people a little bit of a view of that and also share some code
0: Cool. Yes, I was pitching and it's just I'll plot the to someone because Tom and I were obviously both working in Nottingham. So we're both in the same ICB. Uh, ICB being actually, I don't know what ICB stands for. It's a load of organisations all helping each other. I'm sure if I hadn't been off work for two weeks, I wouldn't know what it stands for. Integrated care, something. They just changed the names. Uh, board, maybe? Board. Um, yeah. I was pitching that package and its ability to do lots of things repeatedly to someone in the ICB the other day, and they seem quite interested.
1: Yeah, I've, as part of being able to share the code, I've, I've rewritten it basically on my public GitHub. And um, it's funny, the second time you write something, it works better. So it's taken a report generation from what is about a minute um, in our kind of production environment inside the hospital. It's, it now does it in 10 seconds in, in my rewrite. So I've got to work out exactly why that is, but it, it works better. So I'll be sharing the better version of the code.
0: <laughs> yeah, there's an old expression. It's nothing to do with code, I don't think. It's something i make one to throw away yeah that's what they say and i think you know code is a really good example of that there's another example actually which is um i think that you give your first house to your enemy your second house to your friend and your third house to yourself and that works with me with my chi- i've built this big shiny dashboard for our patient experience and the first one i mean looking at it now was terrible i mean i guess it was okay at the time but it looked i mean it was really bad and i then i rewrote it to the se- we're on the second version now and it's the second version is okay but there are some serious problems with it that I can now see, and so I think the third version that I finally write will probably be the kind of version that i'm that I'm actually happy with
1: yeah it's um yeah, looking back on the kind of learning journey as well because I th- this is code that i it was my first sort of production application of code really, and I was still learning a lot as I was doing it i was I was on Google more than I was in our studio and so yeah it's nice to reflect back on not only did it run quicker I've managed to r- write it in an evening, which was um at least sort of uh, eight weeks of work the first time i wrote it
0: right speaking of which let's skip around tom and i've got an agenda so i'm just repealing uh, about the curtain let's skip tom to you you were going to talk about creativity and quilting so let's that's a good segue isn't it so let's talk about that
1: yes so this is an our studio conference was not so long ago probably two weeks ago it was before my holiday so two to three weeks ago which is in the us it was an in-person conference but also streamed live i'm hoping that the um Conference talks will be up online at some point because there was an absolute goldmine of information. I think there were four or five conference halls running parallel for, I think it was three days, maybe even four days. So a huge amount of um, our material was disseminated and a lot of great presentations given. I only managed to get to two or three because of time differences and day job. But one of the ones I did was uh, was a really good talk by Alice Walsh, who is at Science Alice on Twitter, if you want to follow her. She gave a talk on how she'd use R to come up with quilting patterns, which is you know a really creative use of R and there's no stats involved at all. But as part of that, and it, it's worth watching if it does ever go on YouTube, which I'm sure it will. But as part of it, towards the end of the talk, she started talking about the types of data Work that exist, and and she discussed a really useful anal- analogy, which really chimed with me. So, she basically said, "Do you want to be a pizza delivery business or a plumber?" Which um, straight away got my got me listening. So, pizza delivery: you, if you want to order a pizza, you go on a pizza website and you look at the pictures of of what pizzas are there. Um, you choose from a picture. Delivery um, person delivers it. And you open the box and it looks exactly like it did on the website. So you've got what you ordered, but there is no creativity in that process. So um, she sort of drew a parallel there with with a, with a dashboard that's designed effectively um, stipulating, you know, I want this chart here, I want that chart there, I want um, a table of, of information here. No creativity at all, but you do get what you want. You, you know, you get what you paid for, you get what you asked for. And then she contrasted that with plumbing. So when you have a leak in the bathroom and you need to call a plumber, the plumber arrives and it's just taken for granted that they're the domain expert. They turn up, they ask questions about your problem. They bring some tools and some fittings in the van, but they don't focus on them. You know, they, they're talking about what, what, what the problem is that you've got, where the water's leaking. And then they get on with it and you trust them to deliver the result that you need, which is a you know, a non-leaking bathroom and she said you know possibly that's that's another way of working with data you know it, the analyst can be the domain expert we how much do we turn up and ask questions of our of our customers and how much freedom do they give us to go away and work up a solution so yeah it, it just really chimed with me that did P- pizza delivery versus plumbing and i know which one i would like to be tending towards um i also if i'm completely honest with myself know which one i am you know closer to at the moment so yeah food for thought
0: yes and i saw that in the show in the little document that we've got and i got excited because i had a very similar conversation i do like analogies i don't think we use enough in it i do think analyst type people we tend to be sort of very quietly mathsy type people or certainly i am and we don't i think we we sometimes don't think too much about kind of communicating, explaining like how we do what we're doing. I think it's it's very much about, like I go to a lot of talks and they just show a lot of code and they just talk about the packages that they use and I kind of want them to talk around it more really. Anyway, I'm going off track. So we were talking, I was talking this morning in my team meeting about carpentry. And I was saying, I saw a great question. I think it was on Reddit once. And someone said, when carpenters make something, when a master carpenter makes something, they, they add little flourishes that they don't do anything. They don't make the cabinet any stronger. They don't make it look any different. They don't really do anything. But they are just kind of neat, kind of beautiful touches that will only be visible to another carpenter. And they're put there purely for the joy of the craft. And they, they pose the question. And I think, it, I guess it must have been like a sort of programming type Reddit. Like, What would be an example of that? in in the tech world and i think i was talking about that this morning and i think it's a really good analogy because I, I think it really because that's the first thing that goes i think that's the problem is that when you when the people who are writing code either don't care anymore or all the smart people have left and you've only got inexperienced experienced coders you don't see people doing that craft you know there's a there's a there's a lot of software courses run by the Software Carpentry Institute. Mm. And it's this idea that, that coding is kind of like a craft and it's worth doing kind of for its own sake. Um, and people do get, I mean, I certainly do, and I know a lot of other people do. They get very hung up on the, the appearance of the code and the way that it looks and the way that it reads. And it's just really important, I think, because it gives you it's like the, like the flourish in the in the, in the real carpentry is it it's just it gives you a nice feeling you know mm. ugly badly formatted code will run i think that's that's the, that's why it's such a good analogy but it doesn't feel good it doesn't feel good to write and it doesn't feel good to read and it doesn't feel good to be in a team where that's the standard mm. so i think that if you're if you've got code in your team that is the that lacks those things, then I think you need to you need to be asking yourself why. And it's obviously quite similar with the pizza delivery. They just basically they make the pizza and they get it out of the door and they forget about it.
1: Yeah, that's good. And yeah, that's, you know, code comments and um you know tabbing and having some standardization of layout, um, standardized approaches to how you tackle a given problem. Linting, which um is you know, something that is used quite heavily in some Programming languages, but doesn't appear quite so easy to deploy in in our so far. So just
0: just tell us what linting is for the non-technical.
1: So linting is basically the um, arranging the characters in your code um, in, in a friendly way. So you can, as as you've just said, Chris, you can um, you can write code down and it can be ugly. You can have spaces, extra spaces everywhere, tabs everywhere. You can adding you know include new lines in some places and not in other places and if you're trying to do it inconsistently, you can actually make R look really, really ugly. I mean, it's pretty ugly to start with, but you can make it look you know, absolutely terrible. Linting is the process of fixing all of that and applying some standardized rules to your code. So for example, a space after a comma um, would be one linting rule. Um, a, a a new line, a, an empty line after a function definition would be another You know, just really basic one, but you can get into a lot of detail. Um, and if you have a, you can have a linting sort of engine, which basically, when you click save on the code that you've written, it will just run through in other languages, run through and fix all of those little glitches. So if you want to, you can write your code in a single line, with with no uh, returns at all. Click save, and the linter will go through and standardize everything and lay it out how you should have laid it out in the, in the beginning. Um, does two things: it means you can stop thinking about spaces and stop, you know, keying around with your arrow keys and deleting spaces and making things look pretty manually. But the second thing it does is possibly more powerful. It standardizes across the team. So once you've you've set up that linting engine within a team, um, that's the de facto standard then within the team. And, and, you know, no ifs, no buts. When everyone clicks save, it's formatted in the team's standard way. Um, And it really reduces kind of cognitive overhead when you're you're looking at some code you've not looked at for six months. If it's formatted the same as the code you wrote yesterday, it's a lot easier to get into it and, um, you know, to understand it. I don't think there, Tom Gemmett knows a lot about this sort of thing. And I I think there are ways to lint in R, um, but I don't use it during the day, um, in the day job at all. Um, If there is a way of doing that, it'd be great to hear about it um, and and find out a bit more about how you would deploy it just day to day. Um, We've got it running on the NHL Plot the Dots package, um, but like I say, not day to day. So yeah, very powerful tool.
0: Yeah, I've got a feeling that all the R implementations, I think they check it for you, but they don't do anything else, or I think they just reject it or something. I think.
1: Yeah, it might sort of give you a report of it, all the places you've got it wrong. Um, but there's a there's a plugin on um, in VS Code if, called Prettier, I think, is one of them, and then R isn't one of the languages there. But if you're writing Python or PHP or JavaScript, Prettier will just um, fix all your glitches for you without even thinking every time you click save and it's it. you just to start with you've, you've it's a bit of a uh, loss of control um but you you soon get used to it because it's just nice not to have to think about it anymore
0: well i must say i should try it really to be fair but i actually i'm sitting there thinking i don't want that because i like tidying up the code like i find it fun like when people send me their own code that's the first thing I do. And it's the first thing I do. Partly I tell myself I'm doing this so I can read it. And to also to often, if it's a beginner, to teach them about how to lay their code out. Because I'll send it back mm-hmm. to them and say, it's easy to read if you do all like this. But if I'm being honest now, really, I do it partly just because I like it. It just yeah. gives me... So my desk is a mess. It's awful. Um, I don't tidy up the real world at all. But for some reason, when, it, when it's a code file, I just like to kind of just sit and, and take... It's like a fiddly. It's like a Rubik's Cube or something. something to sort of tinker with.
1: An entry point, yeah.
0: Well, let's move seamlessly on again. It's almost like we planned the whole thing, which I can assure you we did not, to VS Code. So I was going to mention VS Code, partly because our studio, as many of you might have known, have actually changed their name to Posit. I think their website doesn't reflect it yet, but it will. And the reason why they've done that is because they're focusing, they say, well, I think what they're saying is their focus was already elsewhere. Well, not elsewhere. Their focus was already broader, but they wanted to reflect it in the name. So they've been focusing more and more on two things, Python. As many people know, RStudio have done a lot of work with Python in recent years. And VS Code. Because I believe you can run VS Code on RStudio Workbench. Now, there aren't. if you're an NHS person to do this, I highly doubt your NHS trust has forked out for RStudio Workbench. But if they have, then please tell me how I can get a job in your organization. So I believe it sounds like you, I was going to ask about VS Code. Do you use VS Code yourself at the top?
1: I do, yeah. I find it really, um, really powerful for the Git stuff, actually. So when I'm developing, I usually have both windows open. I have... Um, our studio, which is where I obviously run and execute the code and do all my debugging, but then when it comes to Git and committing into a version control, I use VS Code for that because there are some really nice, you know, diffing windows and um, kind of visualisations of the of the commit history that you can get quite easily through VS Code.
0: Just again, for the non-technical, just tell us what diffing is.
1: So diffing is, you know. Diffing is your time machine. If, if you think of, of version control as having a time machine, diffing is basically your before and after. So you've got um, your before is your previously committed version of code. And you let's say you make some changes, you write some new code, or you modify the behavior of some code. The diffing window will basically keep track of those changes for you and then present them side by side. On the left will have, be your old code, and on the right will be your new code. Um, And the old code, if you've deleted something, there'll be a gap there, and and it might be highlighted red. If you've added something on the right-hand window, you'll have some some green highlighting for what you've added. So it's a really good way of just seeing what you've changed, basically. And yeah, VS Code has some really nice ways to do that.
0: And you're using GitLens as well, presumably?
1: Yes. Is that the plugin I'm using?
0: The one with (laughs) a little, this was committed by such and such a person on such and such a date, all that.
1: Stuff. Yeah, it's got all the Git history stuff, and the other plugin I find really useful is Git Graph. If you search for that G R A P H, um, that gives you a really nice commit history, sort of like a rainbow-colored ribbon uh, that shows all of your your branches and forking and all the rest of that. So yeah, yes. it's it just it just for me, I find it more accessible for the for the Git stuff because I'm I've never learned Git on the command line. I, I'm, sort of a relatively visual person so I just find it helpful for that
0: yeah so I I mean I'm the same really so I well I feel like I'm trying to weep myself no I don't know really it's interesting you've got them both open at the same time I think I would just find that really confusing and start using the wrong one so that's why I don't do that so I use I use VS Code for two things I use it for our markdown without no not for our markdown sorry for mark. I write a lot of markdown websites and I've used VS Code for that mainly because of the Git features. The Git features are phenomenal. I mean, I do use Git on the command line quite heavily, but mm. it has lots of nice, it just does, and it does stuff automatically. So it, it, it types Git commands that you repeatedly have to type yourself. It just does it for you. Now, I guess some people don't want that, but I definitely do want that. So for example, it will run Git fetch occasionally. You absolutely want that because, yeah, well, certainly I do because you just forget and then you get a mess. And yeah, as Tom says there's loads of like visual features and all sorts of GitLens is amazing when you're working with other people. Because we do have this in our team sometimes. We've got this big code file and we're trying to figure out who wrote what and what because we're trying to not because we're having a witch on about who broke it, but like to try and understand what the intention of each or you know, we're all contributing. And sometimes things doesn't quite work. Well, like, this line doesn't really work with this line. So we're like trying to kind of work backwards and be like, well, who wants what? And it really GitLens really helps you to understand like the process of it being made. So I do use VS Code a bit for R. If I'm just running R and like making R Markdown documents and all that kind of stuff, I'm quite happy in VS Code. The thing I don't use VS Code for is kind of like what I'd call well not hardcore R, that's probably putting it too strongly, but kind of what maybe what you call R R, like package development mm. testing. I'm sure you can do that in VS Code because it's so customizable you can do anything in anything. Um, but obviously the point of our studio is it does that stuff out of the box. So what is it? Control shift D, control shift T, control yeah. shift B. It just does all that without... And, you know, those are hardwired into me now. Um, so I feel like I will eventually ditch our studio in favor of VS Code, to be honest. I feel like the thing that's holding me back from VS Code is just that I don't know how to use it properly rather than inherent limitations of that software. But we'll see.
1: The other the benefit of studio is it's it's what's in all the tutorials so it keeps it accessible from that point of view and when you're sharing a screen with someone maybe who's learning R you know your screen will look you know the same as their screen so you it builds a bit of a bridge as well that's one one of the reasons I'm I've not dug into using kind of vs code deeply with R I'm just you know, I'm just using it with git because it's really really convenient
0: speaking of which there's one thing that i've never d- used in anger but have played with and think is awesome and i can't remember what it's called let me just open vs code real quickly while we're talking it's the thing where you can share a coding environment so you can both code on the same window
1: oh i've not done that that sounds um, good
0: yeah i've never used it you know for its intended purpose oh i can't find it well i'll pop it in the show notes anyway i think it might be called live share or i think it's got the word share in it um But yeah, it's amazing. It's just like Google Docs basically, but for code. So obviously for people, for beginners or for people you're collaborating with or whoever, you can just have one code window and just type in it. Because very often when I'm talking to my team, I request access into their Teams window and then type. And with the greatest respect to Microsoft Teams, it's not designed for that. It's not a good experience. There's way too much latency. You can't code. The way that you, you know, in a, in a natural way on someone else's team's window. And I know from bitter experience. Um, so that's yeah. the that's thing the VS Code is great for.
1: That sounds really good. I've just looked it up. It is called Live Share. Can you have two cursors then, Chris? Do you both get a cursor when you're doing that?
0: Well, you can't see that. You can't see their cursor or their thing. Okay. You're both just typing into the same code file. Oh, right. So Crikey. it will just magically expand. You know, you'll just see what they're typing. So you can work at opposite ends if you want to you could be like well you write that function at the top and i'll write the function at the bottom and then tell me when you finish and we'll run it and see if it works
1: yeah wow when i get a bigger team i'm going to experiment with that
0: yeah it, it, I, I wish i had used it in anger i have i mean i could have done as i say I've, I've spent many an hour typing stuff into teams windows but it's just never been quite worth going to all the bother of setting it up and doing the and you know we haven't quite ever got to that point because we're just messing around fixing stuff mm. um But for like a big hack or something, I think I would definitely, I would start there. Right. What else were we going to talk about? Oh, there's there's two more things, I think, that I wanted to mention. The first one was, I was going to talk about GitHub Copilot. I think I might leave that for another day. But I did see that Colin Fay tweeted some very interesting stuff. He's been trying out GitHub Copilot. So just for the uninitiated, this is a service from GitHub. It's a paid service uh, where it will use artificial, well, do I call it artificial intelligence or machine learning? I'm tripping myself up now. It's closer to artificial intelligence than what is often deemed artificial intelligence, put it that way, AI slash machine learning, to suggest if you even just type a comment of the code like define a function that returns the current date, you know, whatever. It obviously knows what language you're in and it will write code that does that thing. And also if you start writing code, it will just automatically suggest. Just like you get suggestions like on your smartphone, as you start writing your function, it will go, Is this the rest that, that you want? And it's 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 a bit controversial, and I might talk about that another time because we don't have enough time today, uh, but I just wanted to, to flag that Colin faced done some he's got it evidently, and he's been using it R, and he very helpfully tweeted what he started with like his suggestion to Vic to, to copilot and then what it came up with and some of them are pretty good and he's like, this is actually pretty good, and some of them are just completely garbage yeah, yeah. Um, I mean literally just rubbish um, so but obviously you know GitHub do say that they say like we're not saying we can write your code, but we clearly we can't. Sometimes it will help you, and sometimes it will just say, just like on your email, sometimes you get a, a suggestion from Google Data that's not very helpful. So,
1: it's pretty impressive actually that R is even included in the product because uh, it, I mean, as great as R is, and no one's going to, you know, I'm not going to argue with that. It's not a huge mainstream programming language like you know Python or JavaScript or PHP is. So the amount of raw material they've got to work with is is a lot less when they're training this stuff. So I was quite surprised that they'd included it.
0: No, well, that's a good point. I hadn't thought about that. Maybe it's true that the R code is, the R suggestions are worse than they are for the other languages because there is less raw material. Um, The thing we we might talk about next time is I was going to, because the big controversy with Copilot is that it's been trained on GPL code, basically. So it's been trained on code, with a license that kind of restricts its usage in some ways. So some people are saying that they're absolutely prohibited by the terms of GPL to train on that GPL code. Some people are saying that that's fine. Um, the, Mm. The argument being that because if they train it on GPL code, that GPL code will end up in your code and you can't, add GPL code to proprietary code. It's against the terms of the license. Mm. So what they're not saying, I suppose they're not so much saying that you can't train on GPL code as you can't include GPL code in code that is not itself licensed as GPL. That's the big controversy. I don't really have a massively strong opinion about it. I thought we could talk about it. Um, So yeah, so basically I think they've trained it on as much as, the, well, I don't know, I wonder how, I wonder if, they, but I haven't, to be honest, I should have looked it up, I suppose, before the podcast, shouldn't I? I don't know whether they've trained how much raw material they've had for each language. I don't know whether they've published, whether they have got more, say, C than they have, or whatever. But it's a good I mean, Colin Fay was doing stuff like, doing shiny modules. There can't be that much code online, I wouldn't have thought, with shiny modules in it, because that's, that's, a, that's a pretty obscure thing of a pretty obscure thing. Mm-hmm. So, but I don't know. It's hard to imagine how much there is stuff on GitHub, isn't there? Really?
1: Yeah. No. It's it's well, it's an interesting tool, isn't it? It's the future, possibly. Um. Or is it? You know, maybe they'll kill it. But um. Yeah. It's very interesting at the moment.
0: Yes. Well, that's another debate, actually. Yeah. I'm going to roll this over, I think, to next time because I do want to talk about it. But we've had quite a decent one because that's the other thing to talk about, isn't it? Is that people are saying, is it going to replace programmers? Now, I don't think it's going to replace data scientists. I think we're doubly privileged, really, because we're not just writing code. We're writing code that kind of with a, a, you know, with an end function in terms of the model selection or, you know, so there's like another layer. We're not writing a, a user interface for a website. Personally, I don't buy the idea that it will replace anybody at all. I don't buy the idea in general. But again, I'm, I'm probably jumping ahead slightly to the next podcast. But yeah, let's talk, it's, a, it's a good one though, isn't it? Let's talk about it next time.
1: Yeah, next time. That's good.
0: Right. I think that's everything from me. Anything else from you, Tom, before we round off?
1: Was there some, something about drop-in?
0: There was. Good point. Yes, thank you. Yes. So we had another drop-in. I wasn't there, so I can't say precisely what went on. But it was very successful, I believe, and well-received by the drop-ins and the... I don't know what the word for that is. The person running the drop-in and the person who came, the people who came. I just thought I'd mention some of the feedback, just in the interest of transparency. So an issue that was raised during drop-in was that there was... NHSR publishes a lot of training materials, as we mentioned, and people were saying that they're not always sure where things are. I mean, that's partly... I think in general, that's the problem with NHSR is that it, it's quite a big complicated thing. I know it backwards and forwards because I'm living it, but newcomers often don't. And that's partly why we're doing this podcast to kind of show more of the stuff that's going on. And the specific thing here was about training. So all, basically all our tra- what we say is all the trainings on GitHub. But I think the feedback was that GitHub is not, a normal website. It's not the most friendly environment to go to to get training materials. It is also, I should mention, blocked by many NHS trusts. My trust, which is awesome, does not block it. I'm not going to embarrass Tom by asking me if his trust does, because I'm sure he won't want to say if they do.
1: <laughs> no, they don't. They don't. It's good.
0: <laughs> they don't block it. No, they don't. Well done, anyway so I'd like to publicly congratulate you. So that's two trusts with some sense in the not- in not Nottinghamshire, but many do. I've heard. So that's also problematic in its own in its own way. So, yeah, so we're going to take that on board. I think that's what I really want for NHSR. I want, because we do all this stuff with, like, GitHub and Co. We do all this technical stuff, and that's great, and that's how we want to work, and that comes very naturally to some people. But some people are just starting out with us. You know, for some people, they won't be technical. I mean, I wasn't when I started with R either. There'd just be a normal job analyst doing Excel who want to get involved, and what I don't want to do is have them feel like they can't, join in because they're just bamboozled by all the git and the, you know so i'm trying to make sure that we've got a nice track of communication through and i we haven't clearly got that and that came through on the drop-in we've just got a new website actually i'm sure there's a link to that in the notes as well maybe help a bit and we're going to keep looking at that
1: is there a like an onboarding process a room for just a, a document somewhere on the website that says welcome to an hsr here's some of the things you might want to have a look at next. Um, You know, the Slack is one, but maybe including in that, maybe some more structured, like a journey, a a little bit of a learning journey laid out. One thing I usually point people to is the big book of R, but then that's huge. Um, And then within it, you've obviously got the um, kind of, is it um, the Hadley Wickham book, the introduction to data science, is it? I can't remember the actual.
0: Yeah, R4 data science.
1: R4 data science. So I signpost people to the big book of R and then within that, Go and have a look at the Alpha Day Science book and and start some of the examples there, and that often gets people. That's small enough to kind of get people on the on the journey. I wonder if there's um, that that's, that might already exist. Actually, I'm not, I'm not sure. If it doesn't, maybe maybe I should write it.
0: Yes, and if anyone else is listening to this and you want to help communicate, I think basically the point is we need communication for everybody, whatever your level. I want you to be able to feel at home. So I feel at home with Git and GitHub and Linux and all. You know, because not because I've been doing this for a long time, but I I was like the beginners once. So we want to have like, as Tom says, I don't know what he said, was he said an on-ramp or whatever you said, like that's a good way of saying it, like a way in.
1: Yeah, onboarding.
0: Onboarding, that's it, precisely. Right, okay, I'll leave it there. So thanks very much for listening. Thanks very much for Tom for joining us. Thank you. I would like to thank also Tom Jemmet, who for his editing, as always. We will be back with another newscast in the future, there will be links to what we talked about in the show notes. There'll be a link to a blog post which describe what we talked about in the show notes if you don't want to bother to listen to us talk about it. And we'll be back with more podcasts of the more, I don't know what you call it, general nature. We'll be back with special guests, I suppose, might be another way of putting it in the near future.